Hey mama, are you terrified of labor? Are you wanting to get healthy for you and for your baby or your family? Maybe you're struggling to feel sexy postpartum. If that's you, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Fit Mama podcast, where I'm spilling all of the pregnancy and postpartum secrets you need to know. I'm Sarah, your fitness bestie. I'm a certified prenatal and postnatal fitness specialist, certified Pilates instructor, and certified yoga teacher. I'm also a certified hot mess mama of a two-year-old boy, and I'm currently pregnant with identical twin girls. So reheat your coffee, settle in, and let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Fit Mama podcast. If you have seen the title of today's episode, you already know what we are jumping into, and that is my birth story. I can't believe I'm saying those words out loud. The twins have been here now on the outside for about three weeks, and so I'm still trying to get into the groove of things. You'll probably hear them even in the background of this podcast. They're trying to kind of nap next to me after their morning feed, Um, and so I'm going to take advantage of their calm moments to go ahead and get this story out there because I want to go ahead and tell it while it's still fresh on my mind. That being said, please forgive me if the audio gets a little bit choppy. Of course, I'm going to have to be pausing from time to time to attend to their needs. And so if you hear something and it's kind of funky or you hear them sucking on their pacifiers in the background, uh, please ignore it and we'll just go ahead and dive in. So if you're someone who listens to the podcast pretty regularly or you keep in touch with me on Instagram you probably knew that my due date was around the middle of April. It changed a lot from the start of the pregnancy until the end. Uh, At the start of the pregnancy, when they thought I just had one baby, I was set for May 5th. And then they kept progressively moving that date up and up until eventually settling around the 37-week mark on April 17th. On April 5th, I had actually gone in to see my doctor And she was checking to see how the girls were progressing. At this point, I was just shy of 36 weeks. And we wanted to check if there were any indications of preterm labor, if the girls were experiencing any distress, things like that. And everything at that appointment went very well. Towards the end of my pregnancy, I did experience a little bit of growth restriction with the girls, but they were still growing some. And so as long as they were still progressing a little bit week by week, the doctors felt relatively comfortable allowing me to progress. We also saw that all of their other indication or indicators were top notch and there were no signs of me going into preterm labor at that 35 and a half, nearly 36 week mark. So at that appointment is actually when we went ahead and scheduled my C-section for Monday, April 17th, and everything seemed to be calm. I was excited to go ahead and start to wind down um, and get my house, the final touches, I guess, ready for the girls to finish up some work things. I thought that I still had some time. So imagine my surprise when four days later, at this point I was... 36 weeks and two days pregnant, I wake up uh, on Easter Sunday and realize that I've lost part of my mucus plug. And my first thought was, "Uh uh-oh, that's not a promising sign. Um, Of course, I know that some women lose their mucus plugs days or even weeks before they go into labor. And so I knew that that wasn't necessarily an immediate sign that I was going to go into labor. 
but it is a strong indicator that things are happening down there. Um, and the mucus plug is pretty fascinating. Sometimes they, they can even grow back, but I'm not going to get into that here. Point is, I lost part of my mucus plug. And so I come out of the bathroom. I tell my husband as calmly as possible, like, hey, just so you know, this is what's going on. I'm going to text my doctor. So she's also made aware. Of course, I feel terrible texting her on a holiday, like 7 a.m., hoping I'm not waking her up. But I needed to let her know about the situation. So I text her and we agree that we will just continue to monitor the situation. Um, I had a wonderful doctor throughout my pregnancy. She was also my doctor with my first. And she is a great doctor because she talks to me like I'm a human, like a capable adult. And I love that because I think a lot of doctors tend to speak down to their patients or fear monger. And she does neither of the two. She really talks to me um, and gives me autonomy while also making me aware of what she's thinking. And so I really appreciated that. But regardless, our plan was to continue to monitor the situation. So I get ready for church. We also had visitors this weekend. I don't think that I mentioned that, but on that particular weekend, my husband had two of his friends in town that were staying with us. And he also had family members coming into town because everyone wanted to see us before the babies got here. They wanted to have a little bit of one-on-one -on -one time before things got kind of crazy for us. And so in our house over the course of like a three-day weekend, we had maybe 10 people flowing in and out. And so my house is kind of a wreck, but I'm like, no worries. I'm going to clean it. We're going to prep the whole house for babies like this week. And so I'm just getting myself ready for church, getting my toddler ready. I'm noticing that I'm having contractions, but they're not painful. And so I chalk them up to Braxton Hicks and I'm trying not to alarm anyone by the fact that I'm having these contractions because with this twin pregnancy, I had way more Braxton Hicks than I ever did with my first. And I know that there are more Braxton Hicks in twin pregnancies and there tend to be more Braxton Hicks in your second, third pregnancies as well. And so I didn't want to alarm anyone. I didn't want to be paranoid myself either. And so while I'm having these contractions, I'm noticing they're not really painful. So we're just going to continue with our day. But I get ready. I decide I'm going to go ahead and go with my husband to church at Easter. I want to be there. And also, if I do go into labor, I want us to be together. So we get out the door, go grab a coffee, and then somehow miraculously make it to church on time. Now, my husband actually serves within our church. He helps to translate um, since we go to a bilingual church here. And so while he's translating, I'm on like full-time mom duty. So while he is translating, I'm with some of the other moms and dads in the back hanging out with all of our kids. And I mentioned to them like, oh yeah, I thought I was going to go into labor today. Like, haha, so funny. Good thing that these girls are going to wait. I've already told them that they have to wait because my C-section is scheduled a week from now. So false alarm. I think everything's good. Wouldn't that been, wouldn't that have been so crazy if it had been today? And of course, they're asking me, like, are you having contractions? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm having contractions, but like they don't hurt. I'm sure it's nothing. And I'm running around chasing my toddler. Finally, one of the dads is like taking over watching my son because he doesn't want me to be running around, uh, which was super kind. I didn't ask him to do that. I didn't expect it. But regardless, um, I was able to sit down and kind of relax a little bit. And it was at this point that I'm noticing like, yeah, these contractions are kind of frequent, 
but like, it's no big deal. It's fine. Incomplete denial. When the service ends, we decide that we're going to invite my sister-in-law, a friend of ours, and then our two out-of-town guests to come over for a lunch. And so they're starting to go and buy the food. We're trying to get home in time for my son's nap because if we miss nap time, it is never a good day for us. And so we run home, try to get him to sleep. Nap times on Sundays are always hard for us because my son loves church. Like he talks about it multiple times a week. He asks to go even when it's, you know, closed, there's no one there. Um, But he just really loves the people. And so because of that, he gets really, really overstimulated sometimes from being at church. And when we come home, he's hyper. He's tired, but he's hyper. I know you toddler moms can relate. And so it takes us a little while, but we finally get him down for his nap. Everyone's sitting down to eat. And I tell my husband, you know, I'm just feeling like maybe something's off. I want to lay here and count the kicks of the girls. And then I'll, I'll time my contractions at the same time, just so I've got some more information because I feel like something's off. At this point, I realized I've committed a cardinal sin. I haven't eaten at all. (laughs) Like that Sunday, all I had eaten or ingested, I guess, was a latte because I will skip food, but I will never, ever skip my coffee. And so that don't take advice from me in that. Like, listen, I'm a health coach. I know that that's a terrible thing to do for your hormones. But regardless, this was a crazy day. And so I didn't have time to eat and just grabbed that pre-church coffee. We always have like coffee dates on our Sundays. So regardless, I have only downed a latte and I tell my husband, I'm just going to eat like something sugary really quick to get the girls kind of moving just to make sure that they're okay. And so I ate like a chocolate chip cookie, laid down, count their kicks. And thankfully within like a 10 minute period, I had gotten both girls uh, kicks counted and they were doing totally fine. But I'm noticing during those 10 minutes that these contractions are pretty frequent. And so I go ahead and use a kick counter, not a kick counter, excuse me, a contraction timer app. And I'm starting to log these contractions. Now, when I'm laying down, I notice like, uh, these are mildly painful, but it's so mild. And I thought this could really be anything. Like I had low back pain more than anything, which I know can be an indicator of labor, but like most every other thing in pregnancy, One pain can have like 10 different explanations. And so I thought, I'm not going to panic. I'm going to just count. And so I start logging the time. Mind you, while I am upstairs kind of incognito counting these contractions, everyone else is downstairs having their Easter lunch. And I didn't want anyone to know what was going on because I thought if this isn't it, why would I make people panic or start some kind of chaos over nothing? So my husband is downstairs entertaining them. And as I'm counting, I realize at the start of the hour, the contractions were about every six minutes apart. And then progressively, they were getting closer together until at the end of the hour, they were every three minutes apart. And I'm noticing that they are still mildly painful. And so Every part of me that didn't want to bother my doctor, the people pleaser in me, had to be suppressed in that moment because I thought, I think that this is it. I really think this is it. So I sent her a message, a little screenshot of my contraction timer app, and I said, hey, just so you know, I am having contractions 
they are so mildly painful. I don't even know if it's real, but they are pretty frequent. And I send it to her. And now part of me is just entering into full denial. I'll be honest. I thought, I, I'm not going into labor today. I can't go into labor today. I'm only 36 weeks. And these girls are supposed to come at 37 weeks, a whole week from now. That This can't be happening. And so I am hoping and praying that she's going to tell me like, no, if they're not painful, don't worry about it. You know, maybe just need to take a Tylenol. I don't know. In my head, I was hoping for any other response besides the one that I got. She sent me a voice note. And as soon as I saw that it was a voice message rather than a text, I just knew. (laughs) I knew that she was about to drop a bomb on me. And she said, she said, Sarah, it's time. It's time. You need to go to the hospital. I am in, she's in another city that's about an hour away from us. And she said, I'm coming your way and I'll see you at the hospital. Go straight to the emergency room. So I then have to call my husband and I tell him, honey, it's time. And then I just burst into tears because it's overwhelming. No matter how much you prepare for birth, when it's time, it can be very overwhelming. And for me, it was scary because I thought we had a plan. And I wanted these girls to have another week still safe inside my belly. Um, I didn't have any idea at all that they were going to come early because remember, just four days before at my other appointment, they had no signs of coming out early. There were no signs of preterm labor. My cervix looked totally normal. And so this possibility hadn't even really entered into my head. And there were a lot of things that I wanted to prepare before they got here. And so I felt unprepared. I felt really scared. Um, and I just knew that, that regardless, things were about to happen. And so I cry a little bit. I kind of get down on my knees, have a little prayer session, and then pick myself up. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to the hospital in sweatpants. So <laughs> let me get changed. I don't know what I was thinking. I just didn't want to show up looking like a hot mess. I was in my husband's sweatpants and like an old soccer jersey. <laughs> just got changed, tried to put on a little bit of makeup so that I would um, feel a little bit more human. I think a lot of it was just nervousness. I wanted to do something. And so while my husband was packing his bags, I'm like keeping myself entertained. Like I probably would have filmed a get ready with me or something if I'd been maybe a Gen Zer. But regardless, got ready. My bags have been packed already. So that thankfully was not a stressor on me at that moment. And we very quietly, as calmly as possible, make my sister-in-law aware that it's time. Thankfully, my sister-in-law was here having this Easter lunch with us uh, because my toddler at this point is still asleep. And this is also a huge motivation for why I am bawling because since the day he was born, I had never spent more than four hours away from him. I'd never been away from him overnight. I was always there. And so knowing that he was going to wake up and mommy wasn't going to be there and that I wasn't going to be back for at least two days was very, very sad to me. It was distressing. I thought, I'm, he's going to feel abandoned. I didn't prepare him for this. I'd been talking to him about how his sisters were coming, but I thought that I was going to be able to explain to him this, that coming week, you know, mommy is going to be gone for a couple sleeps, like just a couple nights. That plan, of course, went out the window and we would be leaving him with my sister-in-law a whole week before what we had anticipated. 
Thankfully, my son adores my sister-in-law. He calls her Titi and is, is crazy about her. And so she was able to really handle him in a way that I don't think anyone else could have. So if you're listening to this, Marcy, thank you. I <laughs> love you so much. Um, but anyway, we let her know what's going on. She starts to then move and get things ready so that she can come and stay at our home and be with my son while we head off to the hospital. So it takes us about 45 minutes to get all of our things packed, get stuff in the car, inform our out-of-town guest and in-laws and everyone of what's going on. Um, and so I text my doctor and let her know we are on our way to the hospital and they are already moving to get the operating room ready because even though I was in labor, they did not want to try a VBAC with me. I already had a C-section with my first because of his positioning. The umbilical cord was so tight around his neck that there was no way that I could have had a vaginal birth with him and birthed him safely. And so having twins the second time around, a VBAC was also not a great option. A VBAC in my case, would have been very viable. It was the original plan when they thought I had a singleton, but with twins, we decided against it. And so they're preparing the operating room because it appears that I am already in labor and they don't want <laughs> any surprises. They want to be able to still perform the C-section, especially given these twins were being born at 36 weeks. And so we go ahead, head into the emergency room, fill out the paperwork, which by the way, for an emergency room, it didn't seem like very, I don't even know how to say this without sounding rude. It didn't seem like they were in much of a hurry. I'm like, why am I filling out multiple things of paperwork and you're faxing things? Like I'm in labor right now. Um, so anyway, I just thought it was funny. I told my husband, I'm glad that, you know, if this isn't an actual emergency, um, in my head, I'm like, we still got plenty of time. This is not a big deal. Like I'm in early labor stay tuned for that revelation. So regardless, get all the paperwork done. They pass me to the back. They're starting to get my IV in and all of the other things taken care of. Um, my husband is getting changed and then walks in my doctor and she's asking me, how are the contractions? And I say, Oh, they're so mild. Like they're pretty frequent, but super mild. So she uh, then goes to get herself ready because she's walked in and she's like in her vacation wear. Like I fully called her on her day off to come and deliver this baby. But anyway, she was so kind about it. Didn't even mention that at all. Uh, but she goes and gets changed and then they start to wheel me to the operating room. Now at this point, no one has actually looked at me to see how dilated I am. And I kept telling my husband like, I don't even know if this is really labor. Like the contractions are frequent, but I don't know if this is labor because this doesn't hurt. Like, I feel like it should hurt. You know, all I have is just a little bit of back soreness. And I feel like that could be just from like a heavy day of walking or lifting or something. I mean, I don't know. And I was telling him, I just need someone to look at me before they cut me. And so as they wheel me into the operating room, I'm fully like in my gown. They're all ready to go sterilized. And I tell my doctor like, hey, really quick, just a favor. Could you take a look at me before anything, before we continue? Like, I know everyone's here. I'm so sorry, but I just need you to confirm with me that I'm actually dilating, that, the, that these babies are truly coming. Because if I'm not dilating, 
I, I didn't want to go ahead and like have a C-section a full week ahead of time. I thought maybe there's something they can give me, like a steroid shot or something to just stop the contractions. So um, she was like, yeah, of course, no problem. And almost like she was shocked that no one had actually looked at me yet. So she lifts up my gown, takes a look, and I see her eyes kind of widen. And then I see everyone start to move kind of quicker. And I asked her, I said, am I actually dilating? And she said, oh yeah, yes, yes, you are. And everyone starts to move quickly. She's giving instructions. The only indicator I had at that moment that I was pretty far along was that the anesthesiologist who was going to put in the epidural so that they could do the C-section told me, I'm so sorry, I'm going to be moving you around kind of quickly because these girls have us in a bit of a rush. He said it in Spanish, but that's the best translation I can get out. Basically, these girls are rushing us. And I thought, wow, I must be kind of far along. (laughs) And so he gets the epidural in place and then everything is numb. Uh, And they prepare then for the C-section. Very quickly, they begin to operate after my husband gets in the room. And when I say quickly, I mean, from the time my doctor got there to the time they're like cutting, it was probably no more than 15 to 20 minutes. I mean, once they got me in there, they were all pretty hurried. And so uh, they start to perform the C-section. Now, if you have never had a C-section, it's a very odd feeling because you are numb in the sense that there is no sensation in terms of pain, but you can kind of feel like pulling and whatnot. And that is a bit weird if you're not prepared for it. Um, I was scared still at this point because the girls were being born early. They were going to be premature babies. I didn't know in what condition they were going to be coming out. And so even though I could feel this pulling and whatnot, I'm just wanting them to be done. I'm just wanting them to hurry and get the girls out so I could know that they were okay. So comes baby number one, our sweet little Alice was born first and she comes out crying and I'm just so relieved. She scored well on her APGAR and so that was a huge relief. And not even just a minute later, out comes baby number two, our precious little Violet. Now this was probably one of the scariest moments of my entire life because Violet comes out and I don't hear anything. I see her, but she's quiet and I full on start to panic and tell my husband, she's not crying. She's not crying. She's not making any noise. And he's looking over. I'm looking over. We can both see the table where the pediatrician has got her and God bless our pediatrician. We have two pediatricians for the girls and they are both specialists in premature babies. We did not seek them out for that, uh, but they were the pediatrician for my son and then now for the twin girls. And so they begin to work on Violet. They had a couple of little bulbs and they were suctioning out fluid. She still had some fluid in her lungs that were, was preventing her from breathing. And so it felt to me that it was an eternity. My husband swears it was only 30 seconds, but for me that it was the longest 30 seconds of my life. I am just, I cannot even explain to you and how much panic I felt in that moment. I was praying out loud, like, God, please let her breathe. God, please let her breathe. Just so scared. And finally, after the longest 30 seconds of my life, I hear her sweet little cry and just burst into tears. At this point, Alice is already 
done with her initial evaluation. And so they bring Alice over to me and let me see her and I get to kiss her little cheek. And then pretty soon thereafter, they bring Violet to me. Same thing. Everything looks great. Uh, they both did well with their APGAR scores. They're both breathing fine. They didn't need any time in an incubator at all. And thankfully, they needed no time in the NICU. They were born tiny but mighty. And of course, if you're a C-section mom, you're probably already very aware too of once the babies are out, or at least in my case, I wanted them to hurry up and finish, like stitch me up, do whatever you need to do. I want to hold my babies. <laughs> I want to get my hands on them and get out of this room and just be with them. Um, and so they of course worked fast, but like I said, when you're impatient, when you have been in a situation with a lot of adrenaline, everything feels like it goes on forever. Like everything's moving in slow motion. But finally, they do finish stitching me up and then pass off the girls to me and we then move to a waiting area. Now here comes the not so great part of my labor experience because up until this point, everything has been relatively smooth, even with that hip hiccup with Violet in the beginning. Like my husband said, it was only 30 seconds. She was fine. It was just my mama instincts that had me panicking. But everything's been pretty smooth until right at this moment, because I don't know how it is with hospitals in the U.S. or even other hospitals within Mexico, but in this hospital, after your C-section, you are passed to like a waiting area. So I get rolled from the stretcher to this waiting area. I've got my babies with me. We're doing like the skin to skin time. And so with twins, that is incredibly hard. Let me just say, like doing skin to skin and having them breastfeed when you are lying back at like a 30 degree angle, basically I'm almost flat on my back, was so hard. I just wanted to be lifted up so that I could hold them kind of in the football position and give them a hand because having them lay flat on their bellies basically and then find your breast and like start feeding, it just felt impossible. And I was getting so frustrated but I thought, you know, they're going to wheel us to our room soon. My husband had actually already put our things in the room. So we knew that we had one. All it was was just waiting for them to roll us in there. And my thought was once we get into the room, I'll be able to move my bed and get kind of adjusted. I had my twin breastfeeding pillow with me. And so I thought this will be much better in just a few minutes. Well, joke's on me because we were in that waiting area for almost six hours. I want to say five hours, 45 minutes. And during that time, I can't move at all. I can't roll onto my side. I can't lift up. I'm not able to help the girls. I'm just stuck, basically immobile for nearly six hours. And I don't want to talk bad about the hospital because we had a great experience there with my son. Um, but I don't know if this was because it was a holiday weekend or what was going on, but the nursing staff really kind of left us abandoned. Um, and so that was extremely stressful. And finally, my husband had, he went out a couple times just to make sure that everything was progressing and to see what the holdup was. Finally, we're moved to our room and it's nearly midnight at this point. Um, but we get settled into the room and can finally start to move me and move the girls. And unfortunately, I'm really sad to say that that trend of feeling kind of abandoned in a way by the staff 
continued on and off during the two nights that we were there after my C-section. There were some wonderful nurses. I really, really don't want this to sound like I'm ungrateful. My mother is a nurse and I know how hard that nurses work. I just don't know if they were short-staffed or what was going on, but um, you know, with premature babies, they need to be checked pretty frequently. They were doing bottle feeds um, with milk that I was extracting. And so we needed sanitized bottles. We needed to be able to actually feed them um, with bottles that were clean. And the nursing staff really wasn't on top of those kinds of things. And the sanitization process in the hospital takes about an hour. And so after the first couple times, I realized they're not remembering to sanitize in time for me to be giving the feeds as frequently as the pediatrician has asked. We were supposed to be feeding every two hours. And so basically I would finish a feed and at that point I would need the bottle to be taken to be sanitized in time for me to be able to give the next feed. Uh, We were still trying to breastfeed directly from my chest, but we were having some issues, which I'll get into in a minute. So basically at that point, I was setting alarms for every hour on my phone so that I would be reminded it's either time to try from the breast or to try a bottle or to send the bottle off to be sanitized. And so I'd be calling the nurses um, because they just weren't showing up. And that was really unfortunate. I, I hope that no other mama has this experience, but it meant for me basically going 48 hours without sleeping. Um, and I would do it again, of course, like for your babies, you'll do anything. But my recovery was a lot more difficult this time around because of the lack of sleep and because of not being able to move. I, while I was brought to my room after six hours, I was still basically attached to the bed. And so I wasn't able to get up or walk around until I want to say like 18 hours afterward. I'm having a hard time remembering now, but my C-section began at like 5 PM and I wasn't attended to and allowed to get up or move at all until 12 p.m. the next day. And so by the time that started, I really was in a lot of pain. I felt kind of like a caged animal because I couldn't move my legs. I couldn't really adjust myself the ways that I needed to. I couldn't get up or like do anything to kind of mobilize and get the blood flow going. And my body was definitely feeling it. And the last not so glamorous part of this recovery was that, as opposed to with my son, who didn't need a very large incision, for twins, they had to make a larger incision. And that meant some more pulling on the muscles that eventually led to a little bit of nerve damage right around my right side of the groin. And so that nerve damage was extremely painful. I was getting up and walking as much as I could, but that walking was excruciating at times, if I'm being totally honest. Um, And I don't want this to scare any C-section mamas. With my first son, with my singleton, I would have given that like a five-star rating. It was incredible. And I felt no pain the day after my C-section. And that's not an exaggeration. I literally felt no pain at all. And so with these girls, it really shocked me to be in that much pain. And my doctor checked on me around 24 hours after the C-section to see how I was progressing. And at this point, that pelvic pain was in full swing. 
And so she asked how I was doing and I'm like, I'm doing fine. You know, everything's good. I just have this pain in like around my right hip flexor. And at that point, just admitting it out loud caused me again to burst into tears. And I'm telling her, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be crying. I'm just a little overwhelmed because I didn't experience this with my son. And I'm trying to explain to her, like, I'm so sorry about crying while simultaneously just bawling. <laughs> now I can look back and I think like that's kind of comical um, to be explaining to a doctor why you know, you're sorry that you're in pain after just having major abdominal surgery. But at the time, I just felt bad to even be saying that I was in pain. And so she, being the wonderful angel that she is, got me some medicine that would work on that inflammation around the nerves and give me some pain relief. Um, and that nerve damage, that pain lasted, I want to say, for about a, a week. It was significantly better with the medicine that she was giving me, but it wouldn't go away entirely. It was still there. It was just kind of muted. But, you know, muted pain is pain that I can deal with, especially when you've got babies to take care of and you've got a toddler to take care of. You just kind of like put on your big girl panties and and do the thing, right? So those are all the non-glamorous parts of the labor experience. Again, I don't want this to scare anybody. I think that I had a weird culmination of events that caused it to not be a great experience after the C-section was over. And I say that it was weird because with my first, I didn't have any of that at all. I had a nursing staff that was super attentive. I had a breeze of a C-section recovery with no pain. And so I don't think that what I experienced this time around is the norm. It's not the norm for you to give birth on a holiday weekend when they're short-staffed. It's not the norm for you to have twins and they need to make a large incision and pull apart muscles and you get nerve damage. Like none of that is necessarily normal. It's just what happened to me. And it would be inauthentic for me not to mention that that's something that I went through. Now, okay, positives of the birth experience, just some last like random tidbits. The food in this hospital is top notch. Like they had me on a bland diet. So when I say top notch, I don't mean like it's like going to a gourmet restaurant. However, it was in terms of restaurant food, not restaurant food, in terms of hospital food, pretty good. They always had a lean protein. They had a variety of vegetables, lots of different colors on the plate. They always provided a carb source. Now, the carb source is where I would say things kind of faltered a little bit. They, um, It was always like some kind of white bread or a white something. There was not a whole lot of whole grain, not a lot of fiber there. But listen, beggars can't be choosers. And they were always so, so kind. So the kitchen staff were great. I am uploading on Instagram. Actually, it should already be up. Pictures of what I actually ate in the hospital and what I prioritized on my plate. And that's going to apply to whether you're a C-section mama or a vaginal birth mama. So if you haven't already, go check out that post. It's going to be a carousel post. So you should be able to see that today is, when I'm recording this, May 2nd. So look around like May 3rd, May 4th on my feed and you should see that post. So anyway, food was great. Um, the doctors were incredible. My pediatricians were amazing. And the pediatricians really were the bright shining stars for my girls because Although they didn't need NICU time, you'll probably remember I said earlier in the podcast, they were having some trouble feeding directly from my chest. This caused them to lose more weight than maybe what's normal during their first 
48 hours. And so the pediatricians didn't want them to have to go spend time in the NICU if there was any possibility at all that they could finally get the suction down and start to breastfeed without issues and regain some of that weight. And so instead of making them go to the NICU, they actually worked with the hospital to allow us to stay, all of us together as a family, in that hospital room for an additional night. They basically told me, we want to give these girls every chance possible at not going into the NICU. We don't think it's necessary if they can learn to breastfeed, if they can start to get that suction going. And so bless them for the angels that they are. We actually did stay a third night in the hospital with the girls next to me in the room, and they were able to regain some of that weight. But I did notice uh, that breastfeeding was still causing them some trouble when we got home. So we went home on the, what would that be? The Wednesday after having given birth. And basically we were home for a trial period. We were going to go back to see the pediatricians early Friday morning and see, can the girls thrive at home? And so as I get home, I'm realizing these girls are so frustrated. They're not eating. They want to eat. They're hungry but they're frustrated and they're eventually just giving up and they're going to sleep still hungry. And so I, as a mother, am just heartbroken and looking for a solution. I'm praying like, I need these girls to eat. What do I do? At this point, I'm doing some research on YouTube and I find a video talking about premature babies and what they recommended were nipple shields, basically to give them a easier way to attach because their mouths are so tiny. Like I said, these girls were born tiny, but mighty. And so I gave, or I had some nipple shields that were gifted to me that I didn't think I was going to use, but I dug them out of my closet, put them on. And the relief of my girls was like visible. I mean, they were so hungry and they were able to finally eat from me, not from a bottle, um, to their heart's content. And when we went back to the pediatrician on Friday, they had regained weight and were actually at their birth weight again. And so the pediatricians felt fine with us staying home and we have remained at home ever since. Now, like I said, they're about three weeks old now and we go to the pediatrician weekly for checks just to make sure that they are still eating and gaining weight as they should be. But everything has gone phenomenally well. They are gaining weight like a couple of champs. They are now able to sleep as much as they want through the night because they're finally starting to cry when they get hungry. Uh, The first three weeks, I was waking them up for feeds every two hours around the clock. So I went about three weeks of sleeping. I want to say around three hours a night-ish. I don't know. I don't recommend that people count. I counted afterward. (laughs) Now that I'm getting a little bit more sleep, I was curious to see like, what have I been surviving on the last three weeks? And it was around three hours a night, um, mostly because, you know, breastfeeding, there's not a whole lot my husband can do to help me out with that. Like, unless he can somehow magically make one of his nipples start to produce milk, he was not able to do much other than just change diapers and help with some of the bottle feeds. But anyway, uh, now at the three-week appointment that we just had, the doctors told us that they are allowed to now breastfeed uh, on demand and I don't have to be waking them up in the middle of the night. So I'm getting a little bit more sleep, which is great. And they are starting to have some cues in terms of letting me know when they're hungry. Um, 
The downside is that we are still reliant on nipple shields and breastfeeding in public when you're breastfeeding twins is already difficult. When you're breastfeeding twins and you've got nipple shields, it's like a whole other thing, but we're starting to kind of get the hang of it. Uh, I find it much easier to pump and just bring a bottle of pumped milk, to be honest, but we'll work through it. We've got time. Technically, they're not even at 40 weeks of gestation yet. They'll reach that in three days. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's been a whole roller coaster, but thankfully everything is going well. Now I'm looking at how much time I've been recording this podcast. I'm hearing my daughter start to fuss a little bit in the background. So I'm actually going to wrap up this podcast here and just only cover basically the birth and that first few days postpartum. I know a lot of you have questions about my body and how recovery has been for me since getting home. And I do want to get into those, but that's going to have to be a separate podcast. So if you have any specific questions about that postpartum recovery, go ahead and drop them into my Instagram or TikTok DMs. If you haven't followed me already, my handle on both of those platforms is sarahkelly.co. That's Sarah with an H, Kelly with an E-Y dot C-O. I love connecting with you mamas. I have loved getting to share this experience with you guys. And so go ahead and pop on over there. Let me know whatever questions you have and let's keep the conversation going in the next podcast. Until then, enjoy your coffee. Have a second cup for me. Or, well, at this point, I'm having lots of cups of coffee, if I'm being honest. Um, And I will see you in the next one.